Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Freddie Marsh, one of the editors of The Fence, which launched in London earlier this year as a satirical magazine aimed at a younger readership. They started, as many magazines do, with an issue zero, and then they rushed out their Brexit special in March, which is strange to think now, but that's when everyone expected Brexit to actually happen. Of course, that didn't come to pass, and the Brexit saga rumbles on, so Freddie and his team decided to take a breath and give themselves a longer run into their first proper issue, which is due out just a couple of weeks from now at the start of July. As he explains, The Fence is as much a magazine about London as it is about politics or current affairs, and I was really interested to hear how he's keen to position what they're doing as part of a noble tradition, but also fresh and vital, and something that absolutely has to exist in print. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Freddie Marsh from The Fence. Freddie, thank you very much for coming over. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Steve. So you are one of the editors behind The Fence, which is a new satirical magazine. Tell me, and this might be an obvious question, but why make a satirical magazine now? Well, we felt that uh, satire is an interesting weapon, but it's uh, a weapon that's been co-opted by the establishment. If you look at people like Jacob Rees-Mogg and Boris Johnson, They wouldn't be where they were without the power of satire. So we felt that we had to do something that had more of a serious edge. Um, That was partly to reflect, you know, the type of interesting conversations you have, where it's it's relentlessly satirical, relentlessly amusing, it's relatively exhausting. Whereas if it is amusing but has a slight um, seriousness to it, a gravity, then it has a sort of resonance, which I think is relatively novel. So it's probably worth saying for our uh, listeners who are not in the UK, Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg are two of the principal proponents of Brexit. Um, Your first, I guess, full issue was the the Brexit special. So so this is clearly at at the heart of your raison d'etre. Yes, well, it's looking to create something for what you might term millennials, which is a phrase I'm not particularly keen on, but for, for young people, where it's, it's a younger version of magazines like Private Eye or The Oldie, um, edited by young people, written by young people. Um, but it's a, there is a strong political aspect to it, but also uh, an emphasis on culture, on society, um, and trying to appeal to a broad aspect of both both. Uh, men and women, not trying to be particularly niche in its targets. So, so okay, so it's made by younger people for younger people. Yeah. What is the material outcome of that? Like, so, so how then is the fence different from Private Eye, for example? In terms of the formats we're using, we're not interested in synoptic essays particularly. Um, we're using collage essays a lot because in this age of the information overload, it's very difficult to reach sort of unilateral reading. So we have in our Brexit special, we have two collage articles, one of which is on the anniversary of Me Too, which is a collection of quotes, thoughts by uh, one of our writers. And the other is scandal collage, where we have taken 30 of the most egregious and outrageous scandals of the last 12 years, which we felt led to Brexit, causing the dissonance between the political class and 
the population at large, which we felt was the primary factor behind the vote in June 2016. You mentioned the Me Too piece, and reading that really, uh, I think, was illustrative of the way that satire has to work today, because, so you've got some quotes in there, for example, from Donald Trump, Mm. which read in and of themselves they sort of almost are satire except it's not because he really said that stuff mm. you, is that part of your approach in trying to put that stuff alongside other much more sensible things that have been said by people about that movement yes well so one of one of the things we're looking one of the things we're looking to do is try not to be too forthright um, in our opinions which is mainly lay out what's been said um, next to each other and see see what the uh, reader deduces from that, reading it on the printed page. Uh, and so does the magazine have a political point of view? Uh, not especially. Um, it's try- I find, well, we find, that politics is a governing force, but not the governing force behind a lot of, uh, lot of, uh, lot of the, uh, the way in which young people live today. So we try not to have a specific political uh, point of view so we did have um, a one pro-brexit article in our in our um, in our uh, brexit special which was a brexiteer in south kensington where somebody um, went to a pub in south kensington which is the most european part of london you might say and interviewed uh, the clientele there but but yeah i mean the 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 editorial position is very much pro-remain but it's important to reflect the variety of views out there. And it's also important to say that this is not just a magazine about Brexit and indeed not just a magazine about politics. So you've got lots of other stuff in there. So in, in the Brexit issue, there's also uh, a piece on like TV satire. So mm. looking at the way that Netflix is coming and like trampling all over the, the big broadcasters. Uh, you've got like a, a little practical fashion series that's been yeah. running. So that, like, how, how does this stuff all fit together in, in one piece? Well, one of the things I'm I'm very keen on is I think a lot of uh, broadsheet journalism is sort of am, is quite amateurish in a way, and one of the things we've been very keen on is getting writers who are embedded in that industry. So the Netflix article you just talked about, Steve, is written by a TV writer and who has in, who has been in meetings with Netflix, and we also have um, a chef write, writing fictional pieces about a young chef in London. And we've upcoming. We've got a psychiatrist writing stream of consciousness novels about a psychiatrist in London. So we want to have real access into professional lives in London today, as opposed to people writing about something they don't necessarily know that much about. And so I suppose this is why it's important then that you write under pseudonyms. So we, we can say that Freddie Marsh is not your real name. It is not no. But but so you you have you, you use pseudonyms because you want for example, the TV writer to be able to write something about Netflix without worrying about not getting picked up by Netflix in the future. Absolutely. Uh, it's also, it allows all our writers um, a degree of freedom. Um, and I think it's a slight response to what we might call the byline-driven social media personality aspect of journalism today. Uh, and it's also you know, quite a noble literary tradition. And it's, it's something that is all our writers have reveled in thus far. It is a slightly difficult promoting the magazine, uh, but I think it'll be worth the battle um, for, for the last four months. Um, yes.
You, you mean difficult promoting the magazine because ordinarily you would get the writers to then start to tell people, I wrote this piece. Yes, well, I mean, we are, in terms of our, our core writers, we have uh, novelists, historians, uh, very, very um, esteemed, esteemed young writers, um, and yeah, they're not able to use their very considerable social media outreach to promote the magazine, um, which is frustrating to our financiers, <laughs> but they quite enjoy it, and I quite enjoy the challenge too. I love it, financiers. Who, who are your financiers? Uh, there are two or three people who have, including myself, who have put in money for the project. And, and so is this, a, were you all like friends before you came to this? The, how did you all come together? Uh, myself and the two founders, are other founders, um, are old friends. And they, the other two met at architecture school. And they're both architects. Um, and we were together last summer and we felt that there was a real space to do something about fun, something interesting, something fun, something about London life. And we felt that we knew enough people that we could get it, get it going because we were at that stage in our lives where, you know, we're all in our early 30s where we felt that we could, where we could bring people together. And that's been the, most, it, the best part of it. A lot of the pieces have been written collaboratively. And in this day and age where, you're work, where if you're working in the creative industries, you're essentially spending a lot of time by yourself. Uh, that's been one of the most enjoyable, if not the most enjoyable aspect of it, is sort of collaborating across, and also across uh, design and art fields. Uh, so I think it's, it's very relevant too that you, you, know, you start with this ambition of reflecting something of contemporary London. Yeah. Uh, and the, there's a real sense of that in the magazine in terms of, you know, sometimes you're literally talking about iconic London places. Mm. Sometimes, like with that fashion piece, mm. you're not actually specifically referencing London at all, but it somehow feels of the city. Yeah, it has to, everything has to reflect back to, to uh, London, essentially. So there is a, an article in Brexit special which is rewatching La La Land, which is a long excoriation of the worst film to have ever briefly won an Oscar. But it was very important that I communicated to the writer that he was all, had to reflect it from the perspective of somebody writing in London, somebody who is English. Um, and that's, that's, very, that's very important uh, to us, that, that or everything has to have a sort of a London tint to it. And so, so, in fact, actually, it says in the uh, in the editor's letter to the issue zero, mm. uh, you were going to begin with a new magazine for a new London, and you basically got shouted down. But yes. maybe tell us, like, first, why you wanted to do that, and then second, why you got shouted down. Uh, because it it sound it sounded that uh, I was shouted down because it was, sounded a bit pretentious, which in retrospect, it <laughs> certainly, cer- certainly is. Uh, but I wanted, I wanted to, do, I wanted to do it because I felt that, growing, I, growing up in London, I was born in 1988. Uh, you know, London in the 1990s had an incredibly vibrant print culture and media culture, um, whereas now London in 2019 has a cultural valency that it didn't have in the 90s. It's got a booming fashion industry, a booming film industry, which it didn't have in the 1990s. But it doesn't have the same impact in print that it once did so that was kind of the real energy that I wanted to capture but I didn't really do that in a new magazine for a new London I was told that it sounded like a shampoo commercial um, and I was not happy about it and which was reflected in my first editor's letter but 
there we are. I, I was, it was right, right, right to be shouted at. It's now we've now got a, a different tagline. Okay, good. So, and it, I mean, it sounds like part of that then is just to do with the way that print has changed rather than how London has changed. So, mm. so why did this thing need to be a print magazine? Well, we felt that magazines on a very, on a very fundamental level are, you know, it's the relationship between text and image. And jokes work on the page in a way they just don't do online. I really, I can probably count on the fingers of one hand all the times I've laughed at something I've read on the internet by myself in whatever in whatever capacity. So that was the first thing um, that we realised. The second was that print was coming hugely back in. We see the subscriptions for the TLS, New York Review of Books, Guardian, The Economist. So we realised that what we wanted to do was also the sensible economic decision. So that we are very pleased about that. It's interesting. I think that satire is so dependent on its medium. So so I, I, it was um, Char and Bertie from uh, Mushpit magazine mm. who talked about um, the fact that they tried to do Mushpit online mm. and it just wasn't funny because it, it just was like some silly nonsense mm. online whereas part of the joke is that someone has bothered to take this silly nonsense and turn it into a print magazine which everyone knows costs a load of money and takes loads of time and effort that's actually part of what makes it funny yeah i think i, I think it's a res- it's also a level of respect for the artwork and the hours that have been put in Whereas the the internet is full of people trying to be funny. If you log into Twitter, you know it's just it's exhausting. Whereas there's something there's something in print which immediately captures the uh, the reader's attention because it shows a level of respect for for the reader. Um, yeah. So we've in terms of our division between satire and the more serious content, we we're going to have our graver articles online, um, and, but keep the jokes very much in. Print. Okay, so there's a new uh, online version coming, or is, there, is that there already? There, there's, there is a website, which, uh, which is a web shop, which is going to be ready as, as of next week with the web shop. And we're going to have uh, three or four articles from each issue, which are, the, as I said, the slightly more graver ones in town. The more serious stuff. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, that one of the reasons that you're... Uh, new magazine for New London got pulled was because of a, a slight pretentiousness. Yeah. I think there's a degree of pretentiousness that runs through this this magazine. The, you know, you play with this uh, quite arcane tone. Uh, you know, you like there's there's a piece in the Brexit special and heroic meditation upon Her Majesty's most loyal opposition, yeah. which is like a long satirical poem, kind of recalling Alexander Pope exactly. or something. Exactly. So it feels like there's there's like a balance in this. You you want some of that pretentiousness as well as some of this yeah. freshness. Well, I studied I studied English at university and work as a writer, and so I'm currently always in battle to have to have more literary aspects in in the magazine. So we have uh, Jane Austen as our agony aunt, um, <laughs> and then we, yes, of course, we have the the the, the Pope tributes, and uh, yeah. So I'm I'm always in a sword fight to get more literary aspects in. So we want to sort of capture that uh, that ed- that that editor that editorial decisions with the with the level of, of pretension because I think it's it's quite funny. To, to be aware to be aware of it, but also to celebrate and go. Actually, there's a quality of writing 
in this, which you're not really going to get in many other in many other publications. You know, lots of people would like to say, oh, I can write a long satirical poem, but the writer who did do that, there are not many people of his of his talent in 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 Britain. So it's great to have him in the magazine. Now, one of the uh, I, I talked about sort of a, a balance a balancing act there, and one of the balancing acts that you're going to have with satire is taste, mm. because the whole point is that you need to be pushing. Uh, boundaries with the taste otherwise yeah. it's just a bit too safe and not interesting yeah. but I want to pick you on a, pick you up on a couple of bits where I felt like is it, are we, so the, so we've, we've mentioned the uh, the fashion advice yes. piece a couple of times so in, the, in issue zero you had it's like a photo story with I think like four setups where you've got a girl yeah. meeting her boyfriend's friends for the first time yes. and fashion advice for that and I looked at that and I saw a, a woman yeah. in the image being looked at by a bunch of men. And I just thought, oh, man, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm not with that. I don't, I don't like that. Then in the next issue, you have the same story mm. with a man meeting a woman's, his, sorry, his girlfriend's friends for the first time. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, fine. Yeah, no, no problem. The, oh. like, was it always intended as two things to follow one after the other? Yes, yes. Well, uh, we go, we, we're going to develop that story, not in the next issue, but, but going forward. Yeah, it's very important for us not to have stuff that is, is too laddy or, on the other hand, is what might be deemed as misandrist. It's, we want to have the tone where we're not turning people off um, in, in, any, in any way. Um, it want, it, you, know, you want to have it the same as when you meet, meet somebody you find very funny. More often than not, they're not the people saying sort of outrageous things. Um, so we don't, we don't really want to be pushing, we don't really want to be pushing boundaries. Um, I think it's very possible to be very funny without upsetting people. Okay, so which brings me to the next one the La La Land piece. Oh. So, now, I, I mean, I'm, I'm totally with you on the writing. I, I actually didn't even watch the film, but I, I can believe the, that what's there is, is absolutely fair. There's a couple of pictures in that piece of children, I think it's like a child in a, in a detention camp, and there's like a child terrified with what looks like some US soldiers. Mm. And that like, really struck me as... as a, well, it, it has a lot of impact, and I felt like, what's, what's that doing there? The, well, the decision we felt that sort of La La Land represents the death of America as a cultural power, where it's going back to its musical roots, the 1950s, to try to say something new, in the same way that the Iraq War represented the end of American hegemony. So it was a slight travel down Pretension Street, but works out. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 yeah. I can see the, the thought yeah. process in yeah. there. So, okay, so you, you're now um, uh, a few weeks away from the, the next issue. Mm -hmm. What can we expect to see uh, the same and what different for the... the and is, so is the next issue issue two officially? It's issue one, according. Right. Um, so, the next, so the next issue... We have our regular features, so we have Patrick Bateman, our restaurant critic, Jane Austen, our agony aunt, and then we've got some new exciting things, like the psychiatrist I mentioned earlier. We have, in tribute to Zembla magazine, we're reimagining uh, interviews with dead writers. So we have Isaac Chotner, who's the New Yorker, who's very famous for uh, interviewing these hard-hitting, gloves-off interviews he's doing one of George Orwell. Um, we have a long piece about Jordan Peterson, um, and Jordan Peterson's lack of theolo theological knowledge. 
And then we talk about Jordan Peterson in reference to After Dark, which is the famous um, intellectual debate program of the mid-1990s. Uh, we have a long article about the tutoring industry and how it's a cowboy-led operation. And we have one rather silly article, which is my very expensive English wedding, the musical, which is uh, a musical, but with, with song lyrics. And that has been the subject of a lot of labour. And we have um, a 17, we have Ye Work, so it's a, uh, a wee work, but reimagined as a restoration play, which is once again <laughs> me getting my, my way with literary, <laughs> with the literary stuff, um, but with being, it's being formatted as a, as a playbill. Um, so there are lots of in more trivial treats than we had in in the Brexit in the Brexit special. And yes, we have a long article about. I thought it was very interesting with Fleabag how well received that was, and I'm writing a long article on the relationship between art and politics and how often more not more often than not very interesting. Um, very interesting art pieces are not inspired by politics, actually inspired by, by lots of other things, because we've listened the last for five, ten years, there's been an enormous, enormous amount of artworks that have tied themselves in to, to, to politics to sort of leverage um, a value which I don't think has always been deserved so, so that's our more serious serious article in the next so, so can we consider this one the first fence proper because it's, I mean like an issue zero is always a, a yeah. starting point it's kind of a bit of a testing ground the Brexit issue is kind of weird to think now but you were trying to get that out ahead mm. of Brexit which obviously yes. still hasn't happened so mm. is this the first one where you'll say okay this is issue one and this is the first of what we're intending with this magazine yeah absolutely well the uh, the one person who doesn't operate under a pseudonym is our art director Matthias Clotty and he he has been under a lot of pressure to get these two issues done to deadline. So we are just spending a lot of time with him, really, really perfecting it, because the visual aspect of the magazine, as we said, is is absolutely integral to it. Um, so we really, we really, really want to have a sort of a, a very interesting relationship with between the image uh, and the text of this one and to give him more time to, to realise that. So, yeah, this is our first... So this is going to be our first one where we feel that the identity is... Is set, though you know we might we might we might go back to more to an entirely trivial art trivial one in 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 future issues. It really depends on on what proves popular and what mood we're in, and the relationship between that too, the market and the uh, the ego. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, good luck getting that third one. Out. Sorry, the first proper one out, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll look forward to seeing where it goes next. Thank you so much, Steve. Okay, that's all for this week. I would like to say thanks again to Freddie for coming over and speaking about the fence. I'm really looking forward to seeing what that first full issue is going to look like. If you've enjoyed this one, please do follow us so we can deliver our episodes to you as soon as they're ready. Just search for Stack Magazines wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get a new conversation with an independent magazine maker every Friday. Thank you very much for listening to this one and we'll be back with another episode next week.